right, folks, good to see you on this Wednesday night. Thank you for being here. Grab your hymn book, stand to your feet tonight. Let's stand and don't quit playing now, honey. All right, let's all stand and sing. Brother Ken's going to come lead us now. Amen. In your blue song book tonight, hymn number 324, Draw Me Nearer. We'll sing all four verses tonight, hymn number 324. here in just a moment, but I want to give you a couple tonight. First of all, I continue to pray for Christy and Victor and the new baby. Everyone's doing well, but remember them if you would. Then I really, really want you to be much in prayer for brother and sister Biggs, Larry and Pam both. Larry went through his uh, car, uh, um, heart catheterization today. They found uh, one vessel that was 100% blocked, but it was too dangerous to do anything. Uh, so they've sent him back to the room and are trying
trying to treat it with medicine, which is, of course, a bit frightening. Uh, Pam was supposed to undergo her chemo today, but this, uh, the port collapsed. So she's got to go in for surgery in the morning at 6.30. They're both at Roanoke. So remember both of them, if you would. Uh, I know they'd sure appreciate that. Sister King goes to Roanoke tomorrow as well to see if she's got to have knee surgery. So remember her, if you would. We'll do some unspoken requests in a moment, but any spoken request tonight on my right side this evening, want to share a spoken request tonight. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, Sister Lisa, we surely will. Another outspoken request on my right tonight. Daryl? Absolutely, and some spiritual needs there with him as well. Let's remember that. Thank you, Brother Hyatt. Somebody else on my right tonight with an outspoken. Sheila? Certainly, thank you, Sister. Anybody else on my right? Yes, sir. Absolutely, sir. You bet. In the middle tonight with an outspoken request. Anyone this evening? Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Amen. What a good testimony. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely, Keith. What a testimony. Love that. I saw a couple of other hands go up for special requests tonight. Sister Betty? Mission trip. Absolutely. Absolutely. How long will she be there, sister? Awesome. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Let's pray for that. Thank you, Sister Betty. Yes, sir, Brother John, I saw your hand. Amen. Absolutely. Brother Roger preached this weekend for the first time since our camp meeting. He preached this week, and I'm glad you said that. Uh, Renee sent Renee a text, and Roger Henson preached this Sunday for the first time, and uh, that's a miracle in and of itself. So praise the Lord. I'm glad you mentioned that, John. Absolutely. Amen. Amen, buddy. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Remember Sister Patsy and Eddie both, both of them battling some physical conditions. Thank you, Brother Upchurch. I appreciate that. Anybody else outspoken in the middle? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Amen. Love it, love it, love it. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. All right. 
right, remember that. Thank you so much. I also want you to pray for the family uh, of the young boy that was killed. Uh, you probably read about in the paper, the young boy from Danville uh, that was shot after graduation. Uh, the athletic director at our college, Brian Henderson, that is his nephew. Um, it's been tragic for that family. By all accounts, this was a good kid. Now, they're all good, but you understand what I'm saying, who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And that's coming from his uncle that told me that today. It could happen to any one of our kids, folks. Any one of our kids. Somebody on my right tonight want to share an outspoken request. We'll go front to back. Yes, sir. Absolutely, brother. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Thank you, Miss Irma, certainly. Brother Scott, I saw your hand, sir. Absolutely. You bet. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Somebody else on my right tonight want to share an outspoken request this evening. All right. Thank you. Continue to pray for Brother Bill. He's got lots of health issues. So he's still fighting and some surgeries to come. Uh, unspoken request tonight. Something special. I know we often have those. Thank you so much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we sure love you tonight. And we count it an honor and a privilege to be in your house once again on a Wednesday night. Thank you for a church whose doors are open. About a congregation who's willing to come out, study, learn, and God be hungry from to hear from heaven. Lord, I pray for these requests tonight. Lord, I want to I want to stop and, and, and Lord for just a moment ask a special touch upon Brother and Sister Biggs. Lord, they've had so many years of service to this church, including ten years as deacon and of course the child care center director. And Lord, I, they're battling physical uh, ailments, both of them now. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, a touch there, that you'd meet their needs, and Lord, that you'd give the doctors wisdom to know how to treat to both of their situations. Lord, I pray for others in our congregation who are in desperate need of a divine touch, that you would intervene miraculously there. And Lord, as we continue to study tonight, I pray that you bless us now. Unfold your word for us. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Let's remain standing. We'll have a song of fellowship. Brother Ken, lead us tonight. Amen. Page 129. This is a short little song. We'll do the first and last verse and we'll have a time of fellowship. Hymn number 129. Rock of Ages. Clef from me. Rock of ages, left for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wound inside which flow be of sin the double cure. Save the breath and make me pure while I draw. 
up your hymn books one more time. Turn to that same page, page 129 that you were just on. Turn to that same page, page 129, for just a second. Uh, there are hymns uh, in your hymn book that are written by the same author over and over. Fanny Crosby is one that comes to mind where you will find her name in the upper left-hand corner of many, many, many of the hymns that we sing, including the first one that we sung tonight, Draw Me Nearer, uh, that was written by Fanny Crosby. Uh, however, there are, and occasionally there are hymns where the uh, uh, author only has that one known song. And in fact, uh, the author of Rock of Ages, a uh, preacher by the name of Augustus Toplady, uh, uh, is in fact one of those individuals. Wouldn't you love to have a name, fellas, like Toplady? Uh, Augustus Toplady was his name, as you can see in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, he wrote other hymns, but Rock of Ages is the only one that is still really in existence and sung much today. His story, however, to me, is remarkable. I put it up there with Fanny Crosby in terms of how God used his life. He was born in uh, 1740 in England and was given the name Augustus Montague Toplady. Father died when he was in war, and his mother uh, was an, a bit of an unusual woman, and his friends, because he had such a strong speech impediment, called him sick and neurotic, and his relatives disliked him. That was from his own biography. He was a strange bird by all accounts, and of course that came from the fact that nobody could really understand him because his speech impediment was so severe. But he was very interested in the Lord. He was brought up in church, and at the age of 12, he answered the call to preach. At the age of 12, he began preaching sermons. And you may think uh, to yourself, how could someone with a speech impediment have such a, 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 have a desire to preach? Ironically, or I think divinely, when Augustus Toplady, his speech problem was stuttering. And when Augustus Toplady would stand up to preach, his stuttering evaporated. But when he would stop preaching and he would step down off the pulpit, inevitably he would return back to that stuttering state that was so difficult for folks to understand, but when he got into a pulpit and began preaching, somehow uh, that stuttering would just disappear. At age 14, he began writing hymns, and at age 16, uh, he wrote a poem, a poem that was not supposed to be a hymn. The poem was all about, uh, it was an article that was about God's forgiveness, and at the end of the article, he wrote a poem that said, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Uh, the poem was published, the article was published, the poem caught on and was put to music, and of course he died very young. He died at the young age of 38, but his poem, of course, outlived him and is now referred to in hymnology as the second most sung hymn today. And you probably know what the first most sung hymn is. What do you think it is? Amazing Grace. Of course it is. So this is referred to as the second most sung hymn today, and it was written by a 14-year-old kid who stuttered. Think about that for just a second. When you think the Lord can't use you. Let's sing the second verse tonight. Can we do that? And then we'll get into the Word. Let's sing the second verse. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? Sing it with us now. Could my tears no ever flow? Could my zeal no longer 
longer know these for sin could not atone thou must save and thou alone in my hand no price I bring simply to thy cross I cling alright good job fellas come on down tonight if you would we'll receive our Wednesday evening offering while they're making their way down tonight a couple of quick announcements ladies if you haven't signed the book to uh, uh, the Foley's we'll have that here for you tonight and that'll get delivered so you take advantage of that don't forget uh, those seniors who are graduating this is senior Sunday we've got gifts for you from the church tables will be set up if you'll connect with Miss Susan or Miss Renee parents about timing to set that up keep that in mind if you would father bless the offering may it be a blessing tonight in Christ's name. Amen. chapter number nine tonight please if you would the book of Esther chapter number nine when I started this way back in uh, September uh, my goal was to get through this entire uh, book by the time Awana's closed I'm for the year I missed it by two weeks we've got tonight's message and next week's message which will bring to a close our series on Esther and then I'm going to begin a summer series especially since we've got our kids in here with us that I think will be of great interest to everybody it's going to be a summer of nothing but prophecy messages and by that we're going to look at some end time uh, messages from the book of Daniel from the book of Revelation we're going to talk about the rapture of the church we're going to talk about what folks refer to as the signs of the times uh, what that means uh, what we what we believe as premillennials what we believe as pre-tribulationists and a lot of folks don't even know what that means I'll explain all that to you we're going to talk about some things that we can be anticipating according to second Timothy lots of things that we'll be studying during the June, July, and August months, uh, uh, all about end times prophecy and what we should expect as we still await the return of the Lord. I will say this to you. I think everybody in the building agrees with me on that tonight. The next great event on God's prophetic time schedule is the rapture of the church. We are waiting, and my father-in-law used to say this all the time. He probably still does. We're waiting for the toot so that we can scoot. Amen. And that's one of the things we'll surely be talking about. But tonight, I want you to look at the book of Esther, chapter number 9. We're going to uh, give you tonight message number 19 out of 20 messages that make up this series on Esther. Of course, the title of the series has been, For Such a Time as This... And tonight, we're going to look at a message that I've entitled very simply, The Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of backtrack just a little to remind everybody that when we last studied together in the book of Esther, chapter number 9... 
God had miraculously brought the Jews uh, through the hundred plus provinces of Persia through a day, and in fact at Shushan the palace through two days uh, of open uh, uh, abilities to, to, to take out Jews, if you will. Almost an open purge, if you'll take that term, uh, of, of Jews throughout the land of Persia. But you will also remember that the king had given the order that the Jews who were slaves, remember that folks, the Jews were slaves, the king had given the order allowing them to fight back and fight back they did. So after the first day, the 13th day of the month of Adar, and then the second day, the 14th day of the month of Adar, when all was said and done, the Jews survived, but thousands of the enemy had perished. How? Why does that happen? There is only one explanation, and that is the divine protection of God upon the lives of these Jews. I say it, I've said it a thousand times, I'm sure, during this series on Esther. Flip through every page of the book of Esther, look at every verse, read every word, and you will nowhere find the mention of the word God anywhere. Not the word Lord, not the word God, not the word Jehovah. Nowhere will you find the name of God mentioned in the book of Esther. But listen to me carefully. His thumbprint is upon every single verse in that book. And nowhere is that more evident than, than, than in the great uh, uh, deliverance that the Jews experience. I will also remind you that what we're about to read tonight, it's very important that you understand this, that the Feast of Purim is all about the deliverance of the Jews. It's not about Esther going in and making request of the king. Typically, you will hear preachers and teachers talk about how Esther went in, uh, in Esther chapter number 6, to make her request to the king and how that is commemorated in Purim. That's not correct. Purim the holiday still celebrated today is all about the divine deliverance that's recorded in the first several verses of Esther chapter number 9. So we'll pick up tonight in verse number 20 and we will read down through verse number 32 which is of course the rest of chapter number 9. Next week we'll look at Esther chapter 10 and bring the series to close. So let's begin reading in chapter 20 uh, tonight if we could please. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same Yearly, There are actually four points that we'll look at tonight. The first one I'm calling simply the celebration itself. The celebration itself. Verses 20 and 21, we get a very clear description of the decree that is sent out through all of Persia. I'll remind you that there are 120 plus provinces. We might call them territories or in our vernacular, our language, we would call them states. This is a big, monstrous uh, a kingdom uh, that Ahasuerus ruled over. And he gives the decree through Mordecai sending letters throughout all of the provinces within the Persian Empire 
that the observance of Purim, and I'll show you where that name comes from in just a moment, that the observance of Purim celebrating the miraculous deliverance was to commence yearly on two days, the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the month of Adar. Those two days, the two days that God miraculously delivered the Jews were to be set aside and celebrated every single year. I'll pause a moment and let you know this. The Jews throughout the world today still celebrate Purim. It is a sacred day, or two days. It is a special occasion. It has the same uh, uh, divinity, if you will, or the same importance as does our Christmas and Easter throughout much of the Jewish world. Purim is a very special very sacred holiday that many of the Jews commemorate every year. Why is it so special? Well, that's given in verse 22. Look at it if you would, please. As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned, please note this next clause, church, unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor why was this day so special what was so special about it what was so sacred about it I know many of you were here when we went through this but we got some folks who are in Awana so let me take you back and remind you that, that the king, unbeknownst to him, had agreed by the wickedness of Haman that all of the Jews throughout Persia on this 14th day of Adar were to be publicly executed. And in fact, Haman even gave of his own money billions of dollars in our modern day economy, billions with a B, dollars, and basically put up a ransom that said, for every Jew that's killed, I will provide money. I say this often, and I've said it often throughout our study in the book of Esther. This idea that Nazis created the idea of extinction of the Jews is silly. Enemies of God have always been seeking to exterminate the Jews. And would you listen to me? I'm going to dabble into politics for just a moment. That still plays out on the world stage today. Listen to me very carefully. So what was set aside as a day to exterminate the Jews throughout Persia, a day that when it was announced throughout the kingdom, and you remember, nailed up all the posts, everybody read about it, everybody knew that this was the day to exterminate the Jews. It was to be celebrated throughout all of Persia. So you've got a day of sorrow. You've got a day of mourning. But because of the courage of Esther, because of one young girl's, one young lady's willingness to do what she could do in the time that God gave her, uh, that entire thing was turned from sorrow into joy, from mourning into celebration. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say because this is important. Purim is not about Esther. Purim is all about God. 
Purim is all about celebrating. Look what God did for his people. But would you amen me on this as well? God would have never been able to do that, or let me rephrase that. God was able to do that because one girl said, if I perish, I perish. One girl, one young lady had the courage to step up and say, I can't do much, but what I can do, I will do, and her action turned the entire kingdom around. I say that to say this, teenagers, moms and dads, I want to remind all of us, never take for granted that God has you exactly where he wants you for such a time as this. I know there are plenty of people who say and think, or perhaps they don't utter it publicly, but they think in the back of their minds, I'll serve God better when I get out of this environment, or I'll be a better Christian when I'm not in public school, or as soon as God gives me a better job, I'll do better. Would you look at me? If you're not serving him now where you are, you won't serve him then where you are. Bloom where you're planted, uh, and when you do, you become amazed at what God can do with you where you are, when you are. Number one, number one, I called it simply the celebration. Number two tonight, I want you to note with me, not only the celebration, but the cause of Purim. We've alluded to it a little bit already, but let's begin reading in verse 23. The cause of Purim. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them. Simply meaning that they got the letter that said we're going to begin celebrating this event annually and so they began to make that an annual celebration. Why? I'm calling this verse the miraculous intervention. Look at verse 24. Because Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them. And notice this next clause, it's so critical. And had cast pure, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. Now you get why it is that this feast was called Purim. The feast is named after the device, the pure, which I'll explain again in a moment, that the wickedness of Haman was utilizing to decide when the Jews would be executed. So let me back you up all the way to chapters 4 and 5. When this whole plot was devised, King Ahasuerus was tricked by Haman into agreeing for the extermination of this quote-unquote group of people. You'll remember he never called them Jews. He didn't talk about them in terms of that. He just called them this group of people who would not obey, who would not follow orders, all of which was a lie. The king gave in. He agreed to the extermination. He agreed to the execution. And then Haman gets out the pure, which is a type of lot, if you will. We might think of it today as something like dice, something akin to dice. 
And Haman and the others gathered together to decide the day or the month in which this execution was to take place. And so they say, is it going to be month one? And they roll the dice. Nope. Is it going to be month two? And they roll the dice, the pure. Nope. Is it going to be month three? And they roll the pure. Nope. I submit to you that even in that moment, God was intervening. Because had it been month one, then Esther would have never had the time to put all of this together. You remember, it's almost four months into this before she's ever able to make all of this come to fruition, all of this able to happen. So God was intervening even in the selection of the month and the day in which the Jews were to be killed. So this process goes on and on and on until they get to month 12 and finally they roll. I mean, there's no other months left. They get to month 12 and boom, that's the month. And so they start this process again. Is it going to be the first day of the month, the second day? And they get to the 14th day of the 12th month. And all of that came down to this device that's called the pure. You know that there were some Jews who were probably the queen and her, her relative Mordecai. When they were coming down with naming this celebration, they decided we're going to name this after the very thing that was the cause of our execution. And so when they named this, they named it Purim after the device, the pure by which God miraculously intervened to postpone this an entire year away. If that makes sense, say amen. If it doesn't, I'll go back and repeat the whole thing. All right, so let's read the next verse. We go from the intervention to the intercession. Verse 25. But when Esther came before the king, and let me pause just a moment because I know we had a whole lot of folks not in here because of Awanas. I want to remind you that Esther was not some bright-eyed little bride who came in with no idea of what she was doing. This was a gal of incredible courage. I'll remind you that by going into the king, she's taking her life in her own hand. At that moment, she's herself risking her own execution. But by going into the king or going before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which, was, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. I want to give you what is what I think, folks, is the most accurate picture. And I don't mean by typology. I mean by reality. What you have here is someone who is going before the king, pleading the case of someone else. You have a beautiful image here of a young girl. Now, she's not sinless. She's not perfect. I don't believe she's a type of Christ. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I do believe that you've got a beautiful image of here of what is a biblical term that we call intercession, where she is 
pleading the case on behalf of someone else. I think you'll understand when I put it like this. Were it not for Esther, the Jews had no hope. Were it not for Esther, the Jews were destined for death. Esther interceded for the Jews. Let me give you a modern application. Were it not for Jesus Christ, mankind has no hope. Were it not for Jesus Christ, mankind is destined for death. But First John tells us very plainly that he is our intercessor. That means... We read about this in Job in the Old Testament. We read about this in the New Testament when he's called, he being Satan, is a called the accuser of the brethren. Would you also amen when I say this? He doesn't ha he's able to make up lies, the enemy is, but he doesn't have to make up too many of them. We give him plenty of things to talk about. We give him plenty to accuse before God. We do it well ourselves. And I hope you'll also amen when I say we can't plead our own case. We can't plead our own case. We've got to have somebody who is positionally beside of God, if you'll allow that, but who also has the ability to plead on our behalf, and that is, of course, our advocate, according to 1 John, Jesus Christ. So what you have here in verse 25 is a beautiful picture of, of what we think of as intercession. Now, let me stop just a second. I hope you'll also amen when I say this. Intercession is not just the duty of Christ. Intercession is the duty of Christians. Intercessory prayer is the duty of every single believer. We tout that scripture. We quote that scripture. And everybody in here, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know the scripture, bear one another's burdens. But let me ask you pointedly tonight, and I point at myself first, how many of us really do that? How many of us really do? Let's be blunt. How many of us really want to do that? I mean, let's, be, let's take it down even further. Many of us at times feel like, I got enough of my own burdens. I don't need somebody else's. Don't look at me in your spiritualness. You know I'm right. But we're commanded. It's not suggested. It's not asked. We are commanded to bear one another's burdens. And if you don't have them today then you need to be the intercessory today because you're going to have them tomorrow. And you're going to need somebody to intercede on your behalf tomorrow. Let me give you point number three quickly tonight. Number one, we called it the celebration. Number two, the cause. Number three, the commitment. Let's read verses 26 through 28 quickly. Wherefore, the word wherefore, of course, means because of that. Wherefore, they called these days Purim, after the name of Pure. See, even if you didn't believe me, God said it right there. Amen. After the name of Pure. Therefore, for all the words of this letter 
and of that which they had seen concerning this matter which they had and which had come unto them the Jews ordained took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them so is as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. Let me tell you why I believe that verse is so critically important. It ties directly into the message that we preached Sunday morning about the meaning of the 12 stones that were on the other side of Jordan. You remember in Joshua, we talked about this Sunday morning, the Lord was very specific. Joshua put stones there, one from each of the 12 tribes. The leader of each tribe grab a stone, put it there. And then he even goes as far as saying, when the children come along and say, what mean these stones? You, you can tell them. They'll have a testimony. You'll be able to tell them what those stones mean. It means God was miraculous in how he delivered us across the River Jordan. Well, there's going to come a generation that did not experience the miraculous deliverance that happened on Purim. There's going to come a generation that did not was not there when God divinely protected the Jews. But if you keep this celebration every single year, then that generation will know. Because when they ask, why are we celebrating? You're going to tell them, because God was mighty good to us. Why are you keeping this festival? Why are you keeping this holiday? Because God did something special. Let me put it in our language, folks. Why do we celebrate Christmas? It has really ultimately nothing to do with presents. It sure doesn't have to do with Santa and reindeer. My kids celebrated and enjoyed those things as well as your kids. But you know as well as I do, Christmas, if it's done right, is a day that we celebrate the miraculous birth of Christ. The same thing applies to Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? And I submit to you that we celebrate it every Sunday when we get our Bibles together, when we get our clothes on, we head out the door, we're celebrating Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? Because it gives us another opportunity to tell another generation that though he were dead, he liveth now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he's alive and well. That's why we celebrate Easter. Why do we celebrate Purim? Why do the Jews celebrate Purim? So they can talk about the fact that we were destined for death. We were destined for execution. But God miraculously intervened. I titled the message Sunday, We Need Some Memorials. And that's exactly what the Jews did. They set up a memorial every year that said, remember what God did. Let me go quickly and we'll be done. Number one, we said the cause... Or excuse me, the celebration, number two, the cause, number three, the commitment, and finally, number four, the confirmation. Go to verse 29, if you would, verse 28. Verse 28. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, 
that these days of Purim should not fail among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther, the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai, the Jew, I absolutely love this, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. I love that. Just a few days before, these were folks destined for death. Now they've got the authority of the king. And what they write has got the king's seal of approval. Look at the next verse. And he sent letters to all the Jews to the hundred and twenty-seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed. I, I want to pause for just a moment because I want you to understand the importance of what's happening. It's not that just the Jews are celebrating two days of festivities. They're still slaves. They're still in a foreign land. They're still the minority. They're still, if you'll allow this phrase, publicly viewed as nobodies. But it's being written down in the law that these days are to be commemorated. Read verse 31. To confirm these days of Purim and their times appointed, according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoyed them, and they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And I love verse 32. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim. Look at the last clause. And it was written in the book. Now what book are we talking about? I got to take you all the way back to chapter 3. Do you remember when the king had his battle with insomnia? When he couldn't sleep? And he asked for something to be read to him? It was the chronicles of his kingdom. Every word that he spoke, everything that he said of legal matters, everything that came out of his mouth that was of legal nature was written down in the book. And so when he couldn't sleep that night, he asked for a reading from the book. And the book is what he thought was going to put him to sleep, but in turn reminded him of how he needed to repay Mordecai. That's the book that's being talked about. But I want to give you an even better application, folks. Because I submit to you tonight, just like Esther and Mordecai knew that if it was in the book, it was a done deal, if it's in your book, it's a done deal. We've gotten awfully far as a society from the book. I, in my position as vice president of the college, oftentimes I will have students, I'll have faculty members, I'll have staff members who will come to me with a question like, why do we do this? Why is this done this way? Why cannot this occur? Why are we going this route? And oftentimes, I simply get out the policy book of the Virginia Community College system 
or I get out the policy book of Patrick Henry Community College and I open it up and I say, because it's right here in policy. Policy spells it out. And when policy says you do it this way, guess what? You do it this way. And, or, you, or, or you don't do it. And when policy says you don't do it this way, then you can get as mad as you want to, but we're not going to do it that way because policy says we can't do it that way. Look at me, folks. We got the policy manual. We got the book. And it's not a question. I hear this all the time. There's barely a month that goes by. I don't hear somebody say, but there are parts of that I don't understand. I, under, I, I get that. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I'm an expert on every part of it. It ain't the parts that I don't understand that worry me. It's the parts I do understand. And here's all we need to know, folks. And I know it's a Wednesday night crowd. I'm preaching to the, to the choir, but every once in a while the choir needs a good sermon. If it's in the book, it's in the book. If it's in the book, it's in the book. And we're not deviating. Let's stand to our feet tonight. God's people on the verge of extinction in Persia. Ironically, I shouldn't say ironically, or at the same time that Nehemiah is back in Jerusalem trying to rebuild the wall. Ezra is trying to resuscitate the faith of God's people. There are Jews who did not return home to Jerusalem, but decided to stay in a foreign land but we're still protected by God. I want to say again tonight, regardless of where you serve, in your job, in your family, where God has you, you can be a Christian and be counted for God right there. Right there. So with heads bowed tonight, if you want to slip up here to this altar for our closing church prayer, I encourage you to do so. We always do that, give you that opportunity. If you want to just come up and pray, come with us. But you can sure pray right there where you are, but we're going to do that together tonight. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening. Again, I thank you for this book of Esther. Lord, I thank you for the courage that this young lady displayed. Lord, I, I, I stand in amazement at the young girl, the young woman, how she took upon her shoulders the entire future of her country. Lord, she did it willingly knowing that you had her there at that particular time. Lord, I pray for every teenager, young adult, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa in this room tonight that they would get a hold of that truth that you have us here for such a time as this. Lord, it is no accident that we are where we are, when we are. Lord, we don't have to wait until you put us in a better place or a better environment or around better people to start being a better Christian. We can be that right here, right now. Lord, I pray that you'd give our young people tonight the courage of Esther, be they young man or young woman. Give them the courage Lord, there was only one Esther, but it only took one. It only took one to stand up and make a difference. Lord, I pray that you'd give us some Esthers tonight who will say by the grace of God, I'm going to make 
a difference. Lord, I pray for our church as we continue to do your work and your will in this community. Lord, give us the vision, give us the voice, and give us the victory to pull through until you take us out of here. Again, Lord, I pray a special touch now upon Brother and Sister Biggs that you would just be with them in a mighty way. Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight. Enjoy your ride. Yes, sir. We're le- seniors. We are leaving 3 o'clock on Friday. 3 o'clock. Uh, uh, you're dismissed this evening. Senior citizens, not seniors from high school. <laughs>